Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 48, Tarentum. While the Romans were busy, Fabius in Samnium, Gracchus with raiding Lucania, Marcellus ill in Nola, Hannibal had been travelling south, laying waste to the landscape as he went, before finally reaching Tarentum, where he brought his men under control. He didn't want to upset his possible new allies. You'll remember from last week that some former Tarentine prisoners who were grateful to Hannibal for freeing them had told them that they had brought the young men over to his side and would give the city to him should he come and take it. He had been repeatedly frustrated in his attempts to get a companion port and this seemed like a golden opportunity. Finally, things were about to go right. It had been a rough two years since Canai and the capture of Capua. This could get his war effort going again. So, he marched to the city. But something was odd. The people didn't come and greet him. There was no sound of trouble at all. He got closer, and the city still didn't react. He camped half a mile away, quite dejected. Just what had happened? Three days earlier, the propraetor Valerius, the guy in Brundisium watching out for Philip and Greece, had sent Marcus Livius to Tarentum to organise the town's defences. All the younger men, who had supposedly been flipped to his side, had been enrolled by Livius, and were now guarding the town against him. After a few days, he quickly realised he had been duped by an empty promise, and was just wasting his time. No one came to see him. Hopeful of eventually bringing them round, he didn't damage their land. But there is no doubt that the Hannibal who returned north felt bitterer than the one who had left. He headed back to the Apulian coast, where he settled at the town of Salapia. While based there, he managed to capture 4,000 or so new horses. Just after Canai, I mentioned that Marhubal had pushed heavily for Hannibal to take Rome, then and there. This is because Marhubal was a cavalry officer. His horses would only be at their peak for a few years, and it had now been five years since Zaguntum. The new horses were necessary, but these were of a worse quality than the ones from Africa, which had so terrorised the Romans in the first years of the war. Marcellus, at this point, moved from Campania to Sicily, so he shall leave the narrative for this moment. As I said a long time ago, we're going to cover the war in several stages, firstly following the Italian theatre, then recapping the other theatres of war. So, while Marcellus was very busy in Sicily, We'll have to wait a few more episodes before we see what he was doing, as well as seeing events in Spain and Greece. The last event before the consular elections involved the censors, who we saw last week, Publius Furius and Marcus Attilius. Furius and Attilius had been purging those who they felt to be betraying the state, particularly those who had talked of leaving Italy after Cannae. Unfortunately for the censors, one of the men whom they punished, 
Marcus Metellus, became tribune of the plebs that year, and was determined to get revenge. He summoned them to appear before the people, but the other nine tribunes voted they would not have to do so while in office. Neither completed the full term of office, though, as Furius died and Attilius resigned. Fabius presided over elections again, and two men who we've already seen were elected consuls for 213. Gracchus was re-elected, and Fabius's son also became consul. As he is also called Quintus Fabius Maximus, to differentiate him from his father of the same name, we shall call him Fabius Jr. Fabius called the new consuls to Rome, where they would discuss the state of the war, and where the new officers would fight. The consuls would fight Hannibal with their armies of two legions each. These would be the ones which Gracchus and Fabius had used last year. Out of the new praetors, Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, who was to be the praetor who dealt with foreign legal cases, and Marcus Attilius, who I think is the man who was just been censor, who was the urban praetor who was to deal with legal cases involving Romans. It was decided that Aemilius was to hand over his responsibilities to Attilius, while he commanded the war in Lucania, using the two legions which Fabius Jr. had commanded last year as praetor. Publius Sempronius Tuditanus was sent north to Ariminum, the modern Rimini, in the north, with the two city legions, while Gnaeus Fulvius Centumalus was sent to Suasula in Campania, near the border of Sanmium, to take over the two legions which had formerly been led by Pomponius. Marcellus was to be in Syracuse, Lentulus the Propraetor, the rest of Sicily, and Octacilius the fleet. Marcus Valerius was left to focus on Greece with his legion and ship. Quintus Mucius was to continue his work in Sardinia with his two legions. Varro was to stay on in Picenum with his one legion. Two new city legions and 20,000 allies were to be raised. The customary rites were performed and the consuls left the city. Fabius also left to be second in command to his son. While encamped, a man from the town of Apri, which had defected along with Capua, offered to betray the city to Rome. Most of the officers said they should not accept his offer. This man had betrayed Rome, and out of guilt, and because the gamble did not appear to be working, wanted to betray his city? Was this the type of ally they wanted? Fabius did not see things that way and told them to think about the realities of the situation. This was a time of war. They could not afford to be picky about their friends. If they punished him as a scoundrel, what kind of example would they be setting? He should be treated as a man who had come to his senses. He was not saying they should trust him, but he should be placed in a friendly town, and then, at the end of the war, they should see whether he had done more harm or good for their cause. The rest of the officers sided with Fabius, and he was placed in Calais. He was under a curfew at night, but could do what he pleased in the day, 
he was just accompanied by guards. Soon his absence was noted in Apri, and a search began. They soon became panicked and sent a message to Hannibal, who wasn't bothered at all by the disappearance of this Altinius, whose loyalty he already suspected. Since he had defected, he now had an excuse to take his property. Hannibal questioned the man's wife and children before taking the property and burning the wife and children alive. Fabius Jr. marched from Suasula to Apri. He prepared the siege equipment, then sent a small force, about 600 strong, to sneak into the town one night. They used ladders to get over the walls, where they were assisted by a rainstorm. The guards ran for shelter from the downpour, while the noise prevented them from hearing the Romans smashing down the gate. It was only just before dawn that the Aprians were alerted to the situation, as Fabius Jr. began to march into the town. There were 8,000 guards in the town, 5,000 Carthaginians and 3,000 Aprians. The Aprians were pushed to the front by the Carthaginians, so they would not be betrayed from the rear. This is quite interesting when you contrast it with Marcellus's defence of Nola a few episodes ago, where he sought to keep his allies in the back. There was a street battle that morning across Apri. In such close quarters, conversations began between the Aprians and the Romans. The Roman soldiers asked, just why were the Aprians fighting for foreign Africans against fellow Italians? Did they want Italy to be ruled from Africa? The Aprians stated they did not want to, but had been forced into it by their leaders. This conversation happened all over the place, and soon the town's chief magistrate went to the consul, and the Aprians turned against the Carthaginians, fighting instead for the Romans. Quickly, a force of 1,000 Spaniards defected to Rome too, their only condition being that the Carthaginians would be allowed free passage out of the town. The Romans agreed, and the Carthaginian force rejoined Hannibal, while the Spanish force would serve Rome well over the years. While all this was happening in Apri, events kept going on across the country. A group of 112 Campanian nobles, leaving Capua supposedly to go raiding, defected to Rome, asking just that they could have their property back once Rome had recaptured Capua. Tuditanus, the praetor who we mentioned earlier who had been sent north, managed to capture a trinum, an acquisition which supplied Rome with 7,000 slaves. Gracchus was preoccupied fighting minor engagements in Lucania. So, we know just what the Romans were doing, but what about Hannibal? After he dejectively left Tarentum, he had wintered in Apulia, but now it was the summer again, he returned south to Tarentum, hoping to flip it. Things did not go very well. Only a few Calabrian settlements went over to him, which was so unimportant that Livy doesn't bother to name them. And Livy likes to name everything. While elsewhere in the south, in Brutium, 
two of the twelve communities flipped back to Rome. The Carthaginians managed to get some revenge, as the Roman prefect who was achieving success was defeated and captured by Hanno. 213, it turns out, was quite an uneventful year in Italy. That's pretty much everything that happened. The war was dragging out. Little actually happened, but things were siding with the Romans. That didn't help the Roman masses, though. There had been a fire which had damaged several temples, and laws had to be passed to stop superstitious practices. But we're pretty much done with the year. It feels so strange to be moving so quickly after 216 took so long. We now move into 212, which of course means consular elections. The consuls didn't want to leave the field just for the elections, so Gracchus appointed Gaius Claudius Kentho as dictator to conduct the elections. The two whom the people elected were Appius Claudius and Quintus Fulvius Flaccus. Appius Claudius was one of those in command immediately after Canelli, along with Scipio Africanus, who this year was elected Adile, while Flaccus was a well-respected figure. He had been consul twice before, and had been a praetor in 215. Now we have the fun of which general was fighting where. As usual, the two consuls were tasked with fighting Hannibal, with two legions each. One set to be taken from Fabius Jr., the other Fulvius Canemalus. The praetor Flaccus was to have Aemilius's legions in Apulia, the praetor Gaius Claudius Nero was to take over from Varro in Picenum. Nero will play an important role later on, so remember him. The city legions would be taken north to Etruria, to be led by the praetor Silanus. Gracchus and Tuditanus would retain their positions in Italy, as would Marcellus and Lentulus in Sicily, Octacilius with the fleet, Valerius with Greece, Mucius with Sardinia, and the Scipio brothers in Spain. Two more city legions would be raised, giving the Romans a fighting force of 23 legions. What can you take from all this? We've done this a few times now, and you see the same names popping up. Command was being held for years at a time, allowing generals to get used to their commands and regions. This was an improvement over the constant rotation of the First Punic War. Also, I find the placement of an army in Etruria quite interesting. The Romans were expanding their war effort, rather than being kept in a few regions, as had happened after Cnae. This seems like a good place to leave things, and we shall continue our march into 212 next week. If you've enjoyed the show, visit us online at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com. I'm thinking of putting up some more bloggy stuff up there, in addition to just episode announcements. Things like uh, reviews and the like. And maybe my Manchester City thoughts, in case for some reason my odd references on here have sparked your curiosity about the team. 
I'd also like to recommend you check out the Talking History podcast. I put out a trailer for earlier this week. I really like what Benjamin and Adam are doing over there with the Italian unification, and you should check it out. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week when we march onwards into 212, when things continue to go as well for Hannibal as the second Ashes Test is going for Australia. Hey yo.